Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Say with me in the name of Jesus, I receive counsel. Say I receive direction. I receive instruction in the word of God. Say my profiting appears to all. Say in the name of Jesus, I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer alone. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer alone. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Please be seated. How are you all doing? Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Well, how you all doing? I want to say first and foremost, you see, we've prayed for the nation. One of the best things you can do for your nation is to get this family thing right. Please, are you listening to me? In God's order of priority, Right after he had created man and put him in a comfortable environment, the next thing was the institution of marriage. And that's how important it is. Essentially, great nations are made by great families. And that's why you must see this as something very important. And I think that God might have ordained it that this teaching series coincides with what he's set to do in this nation. Because this is God's method for true transformation. Nations as you have it started with one family. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you have to get this right. You have to get this right. So I want to start today's teaching with a quick Bible study, and um, we're going to read in the old-fashioned church custom. We'll read responsibly. I'll read the first verse. You read the second verse, and we're reading from Genesis chapter 2 from verse 18 to 23. So I'll read verse 18. You read verse 19, and we go on until verse 23. All right, are you ready? Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Verse 19, everybody want to go. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21. Then the rib which the Lord God made had taken from, from man. He made into a woman. He brought her to the man. Verse 23. Together everybody wants to go. And Adam said, this is now blood of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
Amen. Let's pray one more time. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we approach your word with humility, not as people who already know. Show us wondrous things out of your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, listen, when you read the Bible and the creation story, there is an unmistakable pattern. It's hard to miss because every time God created something, the Bible said that God said that it was good. God saw that it was good. He created the firmaments and he saw that it was good. And he created, you know, the plants and he saw that it was good. And he created the animals, you know, and all those things. And he saw that he was good. And so the next thing is you see God's perfect man in a perfect environment with perfect planetary space, the sun shining in his strength and the moon and all of that. But then God sees something that man doesn't see. As a sharp contrast to every other thing God saw and said was good, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. So listen, this is something that you can barely miss because I think the writer put it together in that pattern so that you can notice the contrast. Something you shouldn't miss. He said it's not good. And so that's the background of the story that spilled into every other thing that we just read. And so God said, I will make a help meet for him, a help comparable to him. And there are two very important points I want to derive from this. I want you to take them down, then I will explain. Number one, God remains the ultimate authority on the subject of marriage because he was the one who founded the institution of marriage. I'll take it again. God remains the ultimate authority on the subject of marriage because he is the one who founded the institution of marriage. If you're able to take it down, I want you to prove it by reading it. What did I say? One, two, go. And this is a very important point, especially for a generation that feels God doesn't understand. And that because God is spirit, he's far removed from our emotional reality. He doesn't understand love. And so when it comes to the subject of love, we have the tendency to rely on just emotions and culture. But I would have you remember that when God said it is not good that man should be alone. Man hadn't even realized. There was something missing in man that he didn't even know was missing. And so marriage came to be by the proactiveness of God. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? When God said it is not good for man to be alone, it wasn't because man had realized already that something was missing. And was singing all by myself. Man, he didn't even know he needed something. Listen, when God, who preempted the institution of marriage, tells you what marriage should be, it's not because he's a killjoy. This is his creation. He has the rights to tell you about it. Come on, now you get what I'm saying? So, marriage is not one of the discoveries of men. It's not like God created humans 
and somehow we started catching feelings and we're like, what's that? And so we philosophically invented love as a definition. No, there was just one man. And if he was alone or lonely, he couldn't even have known. Come on, I get in this. It was God in his omniscience who looks at this man and says, he doesn't realize it, but he needs something. So I'm going to give him that thing. Praise the Lord. Say with me, God can be trusted. On the subject of marriage, God can be trusted. I mean, I can preach a whole sermon on this because it takes a lot of nerve to think that even if God created the world with perfect conditions, scientists say that the earth is in a zone called the Goldilocks zone, meaning if the earth was only slightly closer to the sun than it is, it would be too hot. And if it was only slightly farther away from the sun than it is, it would be too cold. And if it was slightly bigger than it is, gravity won't be able to hold it. And if it was slightly smaller than it is, it wouldn't be able to have an atmosphere. You know, so all this brilliance, you literally see God create the institution of marriage after all the brilliance displayed in creation. It's going to take a lot of nerve, a lot of pride to say he got everything right except this one. And that there are some things that he needs to catch up with the trend about. Are you getting this? I think this is very important for the church. I can say amen, hallelujah. God bless you. Let's call it a day. This is important. But let's move on. So now, God says man needs something. Even though man doesn't know that he needs that thing, what does he do? I mean, you would have expected God is just going to create the woman and bring her to the man. But he doesn't do that. It leads me to my second point. It is God who puts in man the desire for companionship. It is God who puts in man the desire for companionship. Please, what did I say? Listen, if you want to be with someone... That's godly. Depends on who, though. But, <laughs> but at least the sheer desire to be with someone, to not be alone, is a godly desire. And I want to show you from this text. I want you to pay attention because I can almost bet you never saw it before now. That when God said it is not good that man should be alone, he sold that idea to man in the most brilliant ways. So when you're reading the text, okay, I'm going to make a help comparable to him, God says. But God doesn't do that, at least not immediately. The next verse tells us that God made every animal and brought them to Adam to see what he will call them. And here is what you didn't pay attention to. Prior to this event, Adam was alone and did not care, right? But this naming ceremony did something to him. By the time he was done, the Bible says, 
He gave names to all the animals, but for him, there wasn't found a helpmate. Meaning, by the time he was naming, he started searching. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, how did he move from not even knowing that he's alone to being conscious and searching? How did he move? I'll tell you how. And God does have a sense of humor. Are you ready for this? Adam is alone. I want him to realize his need for companionship. So here's what I'm going to do. Let him name the animals. And so Adam begins to name lion, lioness. Tiger, tigress. <laughs> Leopard. <laughs> You're not sure, right? <laughs> Cock and hen. And he goes, wait oh. All of them get. <laughs> I don't get. <laughs> you know, and every time I read this story, I, I picture it because I know God does have a sense of humor. He must have done it in the way he ordered Noah to usher in the animals into the ark. So he would have said, all of them should go to Adam in twos for naming. <laughs> and he began to feel... So that was the origin of God when? <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's like I'm preaching well. I'm trying to be. Okay. Bad me this hairstyle, right? God, is it is the, is the what I'm wearing? Is it? Okay, noted. What are they doing that I must do? You know, and all of that. But you see, some of you don't get it. Because what God did with Adam, he's doing with some guys here. And you still don't get it. You graduated years ago. You had seven friends. All of them are married with children. You are still playing FIFA. <laughs> you were playing FIFA with them then. When you come together, they all come with their spouse. You come with game pad. <laughs> what is the matter with you? <laughs> At least God was able to show Adam something. You, you know they see him. God is showing you with your friends, with your environment, it is not good to be alone. You're getting old. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> At this rate, when you finally decide to do it, as, you're, as she's coming down the aisle, another trumpet will just sound. You say, God, I beg. But he's gone. <laughs> if I'm the one officiating, he's uh, <laughs> gone. <laughs> when I don't, they tell you since. Every day, you will come to church. You will sit by her side. You go, good morning, good morning. The only time you talk to her is if the pastor says, tell your neighbor. I just want to remind you, Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. But God put in man the desire for companionship. That's powerful, isn't it? Please don't feel bad to not want to be alone. Don't feel bad. So there is a biblical way to go about it. And that's why we're here. That's where we come in. But I want you to understand, it is perfectly normal and in fact, godly. Amen, somebody. 
But having said that, your approach must not just be cultural, it must be spiritual. Oh my God, listen. This is one of those sermons I don't just want to preach at you, I want to scream at you because some of you are dull of hearing. So let me apologize ahead of time. I'm going to step on your toes. But there are some things I must say that need to be said. I said our approach must be what? And not just what? Because if you want any proof for how worldly the church has become, just look at how Christians choose their spouse. There is hardly anything that proves the worldliness of the church. Like our dating process. We want to choose spouse like the world, date like the world, and have biblical marriage. It's a problem. It's a problem. I already apologized, Abby. You know why we have so many mature singles in the church? I'm going there. The reason is simple. Some of us have not just impossible but ungodly standards. You don't, I can say, and we must have a men conference. You see, it's hard to have conferences in this because just when you have something to say, at least five million in this Lagos, <laughs> so you have something to say. You just haul, I think of all logistics, and just say, you know what? But that men's conference, we must have it because I think there aren't as many conferences where people speak to the men, only at the forehand. And I know that the Christian ladies shouldn't even think about it when people who don't know Jesus are asking them out. But some of you make it difficult. Because you see, someone who... <laughs> oh my God, I'm talking this morning. Someone who likes you genuinely. Loves your God. Is committed to you. But because... The world has told you what your wife should look like. You're not looking for a wife. You're looking for an hourglass. That's your problem. And listen, I know that feelings and emotions and looks are important, but you have to realize that you're being programmed to have unrealistic standards. Standards that you can't even keep up to. Because you see, it's a conundrum. When you're counseling couples that are about to marry, you know, you're telling them, calm down. They're like, the emotions, we want to have sex. And we're like, wait. And then when they marry, we're telling them, why are you not having sex? You need to have more sex. And they're like, sir, I'm very busy. I'm like, what do you mean you're busy? You were telling us you couldn't wait. This is the conundrum. You wanted hourglass, this is your hourglass. That's when you realize there is more to marriage than sex. Uh, are you listening to me? And sometimes we prioritize looks, picture perfect, just so that when we go to parties, you know, we'll feel. <laughs> sometimes we don't marry for ourselves, we marry for our friends. You know it's true. And then if you try that, after three months, you'll be tired. 
I am telling you. Because, let me look around if there are children or not. Okay. It, it doesn't take time to exhaust all these tiles. Oh, Shantalaba. You don't know what I'm saying, have you? <laughs> you liars. <laughs> so they use church eye look me. What's that? Now we're not the bad pass. Listen, I'm joking, but I'm serious. Praise the Lord. And so the cycle never ends because you want what you're not getting. And what you're trying to get is also looking for something that is not getting. getting. And then we just look around and there are too many single people. And sometimes, by the time you lower your standard, it's too late. Don't look at me like that. What about the Christians who are dating? Dating like the world. Sometimes I see some of the pictures that some people who are dating post. I, I don't know what the I don't know if it is grace preaching. I don't know what the problem is. Sometimes you see a Christian dating couple. You know, just by looking at them, you see, you know they are doing what they are not supposed to do. Because if they can be this free in public, ah, because you 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 no no sensitivity, no caution. It's bad enough you are doing it, then you take a picture, you post it online. Now, that's why breakfast is about to end your life, because you took it too far. You took it too far. Simple relationship that ended is paining you like marriage that dissolved. Because you took it too far. Two weeks relationship, you are wearing as your baby and co. You, you won't relax. Because, listen, in a normal world, okay, we're dating, it didn't work. Fine, God bless you. You know, but now you are hiding. You can't even come to church again. Because you took it too far. Every date, you are snapping picture. His view, my view. is See, please. I can talk, Abby. Not like I care. Not like if you say no, I'll stop. But, you know. See, you need to hear it. I can say this because I'm, I'm privileged to be your pastor. There was, there was a couple I had to call. That, what is this? What are you doing? You know, calm down. Please, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Our perspective to love is different. Our definitions are different. Our approach is different. I won't be honest to tell you it's, it's easy. <laughs> now go ahead, Abby. 
but it is possible. Are you listening to me? Uh-huh. It is possible. I'm saying that because someone asked me recently, is it possible in this day and age to date without? And I'm saying, yes. You see, and that's the problem with a lot of Christians. We have the problem with it when it seems like we're on the receiving end of the enjoyment. But when they do it against us, then we remember the word of God. It's wrong. Why would she do that? Why will he do that? What do you, what you mean? Because listen, you know, for instance, the bed remained undefiled is God's plan for marriage. You have no problem breaking that principle. You forgot, oh my God, that if the person can sin with you, he can sin against you. You forgot that. You forgot that this is literally your only opportunity to test the person's ability to keep himself or herself. And so when in marriage, the guy starts pursuing everything in sketch, you are now complaining. Watch what you mean. Is it wrong all of a sudden? You liked it when he couldn't keep your, his emotions when it was directed towards you. Why is it now a problem? Don't you get it? Every time you help that partner keep herself or keep himself, you are training him for your own self. Uh, are you listening to me? You are training that partner for your own self. Do you understand it? A partner who cannot honor God and wait until marriage has shown you all you need to know. If you are wise. Because the same way the pastor will say, how come you guys are sleeping together? And you say, pastor, is I just couldn't. That's the same way when he's, she starts cheating or he starts, you say it was hard. I couldn't. It's the same thing. Oh. Are you listening to me? I'm saying this now because some of you, like I said, oh, I know they hear word and you put your pastors in very, very ridiculous positions. I, I've, oh my God. Uh, I'm changing now. If you don't hear during dating, don't, don't complain to me. Come on, Jim. Well, I'm joking. I can't. That's why it's difficult. I, I have to be there. You don't make me. You, you know what I've gone through? I went to an office with all my anointing to beg one man. I went to the woman like this. The receptionist called in my presence. Uh, says, Pastor Emmanuel, here to see you. He didn't come down. I sat in the reception like a fool. Because when they, they preach this, you're going to laugh. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying now. <laughs> because the day you call me and I say I'm busy, don't be annoyed. Someone that, that has shown you all the signs. Pastor, you should meet this guy. He's nice, he's everything, but he's a Muslim. And before you complain, sir, the church guys are not coming at me. And everything, and then maybe persuade you, we persuade you, we persuade you, you know. Oh my God. And then you go ahead. You know, you say, he even allows me to practice my religion and all of that. 
Then after he has wasted your prime, you are like 42. You know, there is an age where if you discover it's not working, you can... You are like 42, 45. He now brings someone younger and finer to the house. Then all of a sudden, you have a problem. Ah, why would he do that? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Enjoy it. And then just when you are beginning to cope, he brings number three. Because some people only believe God's word when it's convenient. You know, there was a social experiment. They brought the keypad to people. They said, if you press this button, someone somewhere in the world that you don't know, you've never met before, will die and you'll get $1 million. What will you do? Listen a second. If I press it three times, will I have $3 million? But the same person, if you say, press this button and your beloved daughter will die. Person will say, what do you mean? Why would you even say that? Might even break it. Because the thing is, oh my God. Until it affects us directly, we have a different perspective to it. And that's not the relationship you must have with the word of God. You must have, listen, God is wiser than us. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when it's hard, you must subscribe to the doctrine of the final authority of the word of God. Amen, somebody. And I'm saying this because perilous times are coming. You know, there's a book I'm about to start reading. <laughs> the book was written 1987. When, please? Take a wild guess. How many years ago was that? Anyway, so the agenda of the book, which, by the way, was the intellectual um, project of some professionals, the aim of the book was to commonize homosexuality in America. And this was, this was their plan. So listen, I'm just saying this. I, I'm, I, there's a reason I'm saying this. This was their plan. They studied human psychology that there is something about us that likes to be a part of the herd. It's herd mentality. That when everybody thinks in a certain way and we think differently, we feel guilty. They've discovered that about you. Even if the general public is wrong, there is something about you that doesn't want to be the odd one out. It's just like this election. There are some people that if you are supporting... The public will look at you, you know, uh, even though that one is right, you understand? But, <laughs> but I'm saying, there's some people who followed us with shouts for a particular candidate, not because they've done their research. And they knew it's the right one, but because many people were shouting about it. And see, listen, what I'm saying here, eh, marketers know it. They know it about us. And they use it for us. This is how come we use influencers? Are you getting what I'm saying? So, but when it comes to maintaining your conviction, you must know this. That when it all comes down to it, it is not a popularity contest. You must, you must understand that. Come on, I get what I'm saying. 
But the reverse, in a sense, is also the case in, 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 in terms of the fact that when you turn to people who have been disenfranchised and treated poorly, it will whip up the emotions of the public to defend them, like the black community, like the Jews. So by the time the narrative is that, oh, this people group have been treated harshly, which in some shape or form might have some element of truth, but you know, just blow it to an unimaginable proportion. Then listen, even you, in fact, for instance, when I started talking about this, someone in his heart was like, is pastor really going to go there? It's but you have changed. You get what I'm saying? You have changed. Because now, there are some things that people can't even freely speak about. You have changed. And I'm telling you, that's by design. It was done intentionally. And a lot can be said from a logical standpoint, from a behavioral standpoint, but I just want to say this. As a child of God, you must side with the word of God. Amen, somebody. Say amen from your spirit. God can be trusted. I am more scriptural than I am cultural. And so the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 21, I know we know verse 22 that says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers alone, deceiving your own self. But, but first, as a preliminary to that, in verse 21, he says that you should lay aside filthiness and overflowing superfluity of naughtiness. Some, peop some people know just the hear word. This is stop being naughty. And just listen to the word of God. Because I have discovered it that the average person thinks they are ready for marriage and they are not. Oh my God. You see, I would liken marriage to an unassuming but dangerous animal. You know, you might think of some animals that look cute but can kill you twice in a second. Have you seen some pictures of some snakes? And you're like, ah, this thing fine. <laughs> I saw one that looked like Louis Vuitton. Have you seen? Have you not seen a snake like that? That looks, uh, the skin is like Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Designer snake. <laughs> if he bites you, designer bites. Some dangerous things are good to look upon. Marriage is like that. And what makes it dangerous is that everybody tends to underestimate it. A child will tell you he's in love. I thought I was in love when I was in JS1. And when people were trying to tell me, calm down, focus on your books, I said, they don't understand. They don't know what I feel. <laughs> Tell me honestly, can you think of some things you did in the name of love in the years and you just laugh at yourself? That, ah, Mumu, I foolish that year. Be honest. But when they were telling you, calm down, you said, no, I know what I feel. You know, I really, you know. 
The first and only time in my life that I stole, I stole for that girl. Yes, too. Now, my, my record is not clean. I've stolen before. <laughs> Valentine. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, ah, when I don't do parcel. But no problem. I asked a question on the island last week. I want to ask again. If you know you have not read up to five books on marriage, cover to cover, let me, let me reiterate because I want to stress the level of importance. If you have not entered the bookstore yourself and bought with your money five books on marriage, by the way, I learned this the hard way myself. Do you understand? Not, not the hard way, but I learned this myself. The level of intentionality it takes. But as you are seated here, you have not read five books on marriage, cover to cover. Raise your hand. Be honest. Just look at this. Put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. And with those same fingers, you type God when. <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to point out something to you. Love is unassuming. You just think... It's simple. The reason you have not read it is because you think you, you haven't figured out. Ah, is it not love? We think love is an overwhelming feeling. And something just, when I saw her, I lost my breath. And you didn't know it was asthma. <laughs> no, asthma. <laughs> Please take this seriously. I want you to see that unintentionally the cartoons have oversimplified love to you. There is a level of intentionality it takes that has not dawned on you. And just for the sake of those of you who didn't hear what I preached last week, I want to just say this. Every true love story begins after midnight. And I'm saying that poetically using the story of Cinderella. Because by some magic, a slave girl or a girl who is treated like a slave can have beautiful clothes. A magician just points her wand and then she has beautiful clothes. Glittering from top to bottom and nice transparent shoes. Don't get me started on those shoes. A lot to say about that. How come she was the only one in the entire village that wore that shoe size? Anyway, but I don't want to ruin your, your love story. But nice shoes. And then there were two mice. And the, the magician just pointed at them and they turned to horses. And then there was pumpkin. Pointed at the pumpkin. It turned to a chariot. And now she's going to this party, this ball. You know, in the most majestic manner. And then as she walks into the hall, you know, the prince, I mean, he stops what he's doing. He's looking at her. He has not seen anyone so beautifully dressed ever before in his life. And then just when they're dancing, she sees the clock. 
is about to hit 12. So she begins to run. And as she's running, the horses turn to mice again. The pumpkin turns to, the, the chariot turns to pumpkin again. And the dress disappears. I'm telling you in some shape or form, that's the story of almost everybody, their love story. Because for the first date, we all look amazing. If you have to borrow clothes, you borrow. <laughs> and you know, even guys, when they hype you, they say, when is the date? Don't worry, we go package you. Some of you know what I'm saying. I'm sorry, oh, guy code. I'm not supposed to tell them. So they borrow perfume. They spray you. <laughs> Meanwhile, normally, you know, they bath. And talking stage, you have diligence and zeal. I mean, she lives on the mainland. You live on the island. She walks on the island. You drive to the mainland. You drive her to walk. You wait for her to finish. You enter Lagos traffic at 4 p.m. Drive her back. Drive back. You know, and all of that, you're doing that diligently until after midnight. You've wooed her. She said yes. Now you're saying why would you expect me to call you every day? Because it is then that the true color will start showing. Please, are you listening to me? It takes a lot more to understand this subject of love. So I want you to say this. Listen, I want you to say it this way. I want you to for your own good, assume you don't know. This institution called marriage has humbled people that are better than you. Don't joke with it. Please, are you listening to me? You see, and then, you see, a man of God said this this way. He said he discovered that every couple that was about to get a divorce, when he counseled them, to his amazement, they all claimed to still be in love. I still love her, but it cannot work. I still love him, but it cannot work. Alas, he discovered love is not enough. Please, are you getting this? I must build the home of my dreams with intentionality. Amen, somebody. Come on, I said amen, somebody. And so if you assume you don't know about this thing, and you want to learn afresh, let's see what the Bible says about love. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a lot more I wanted to say, but and I thought I was going to say it in this second service. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. I want you to read just the first sentence as loud as you can. One, two, go. Read it again. Um, I want to crave your indulgence. Just one more time with conviction. One, two, go. Oh, my God. Love never fails. You see, in school... I did some civil engineering courses, and there's something called strength of materials. And the business of strength of materials is to try to calculate how much load 
a material can carry. For instance, if you wanted to build this hall without pillars so that your line of view will not be obstructed, how strong do the pillars at the extremes have to be? That's strength of material. And then when you calculate it, you can tell categorically, put this amount of load on it, it won't fail. By calculation, you can tell. You can do it on paper and take what you have on paper, practice it in real life, and it will not fail. Come on, you know what I'm saying, right? I have architects in the house, don't I? And you know from, from calculation, if you put this much load, if you are building a story building, it doesn't matter. If you, if you don't exceed this load, it will not give in. It will not. You know it. You've tested the soil. You've gotten all the right materials. You, you can take it to the bank. It will not fail. There is a strength of material called love. There is what true love can carry. Listen, when you see a generation that is afraid to enter into marriage, it's because they've been sold the wrong definition of love. Because the true love cannot fail. The kind of love that they've been taught cannot stand the test of time. It can break after two years or after five years. But listen, on the strength of the authority of the word of God, it says love never fails. If you saw anything that looked like love and failed, they thought they were in love. There was something missing, either in the giver or the receiver. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Because this is God's authoritative word. Love never fails. And then he says something. If you hear this outside, you think the person is, has a secularized mind. But this is a man of God talking. He says, even prophecies will fail. <laughs> Can you imagine that before true love fails, prophecy will fail. Oh my God, you are not here. Are you listening to me? Even tongues will cease. Before true love will end, tongue will cease. And he says, knowledge will vanish away. He says, but love will not fail. Meaning, if you have really mastered the God kind of love, you step into marriage with every sense of assurance. Hey, you are, you, you, no doubts, no ifs, no buts, no maybes. Because if you get it right, this one, this type, does not fail. Amen, somebody. Come on, I said amen, somebody. So now this is something to learn about and pray about. Lord, the type of love I think I know is Canfelo. I may not have thought about it deeply, but in the deep recesses of my consciousness, I know that there are certain extremes. I'll just say, I'm tired. Have you seen people? They say, I'm tired. Lord, I want to build this type. And, and I'm, I'm not going to assume I know it. I'm going to be intentional. So I'm going to study like a novice. And not to scare you, because even your pastor... And a few times in the marriage, I felt like, Lord, let me go back to the book. I don't know this thing. <laughs> it's going to take intentionality. Please, are you listening to what I'm saying? So now, from today, I want you to judge your preparation for marriage by what you have read. 
Because it is true wisdom that the house is built. From today, judge your preparation for marriage not by Godwin, but by the amount of information you have intentionally amassed. Because it is true wisdom, not true feelings, not true the arrow of Cupid, but true wisdom is a house built. If you have not read a book on love, Bible way, from cover to cover, don't assume that you are ready. You are not. Please, are you listening to me? Oh. <laughs> okay. You know what I've discovered? What you don't hear, the counseling you don't receive before marriage, you receive after. If you're not careful. And then let's look at some other things he said about love. Bible way, because I, I want you to renew your mind. He says love is not self-seeking. He does not seek his own. Do you know this changes everything you knew about love? Because the natural man enters into marriage for himself. It's the next step. I have a school degree, a good job. I have decent amount of money. How else do I advance myself? I need a wife. And so unintentionally, what you have is a trophy wife. And this is why the quarrels will never end because subconsciously, you are seeing this lady as something that will fill a missing part in your soul. Come on, are you with me? Meanwhile, Bible love is the opposite. <laughs> Listen, you're not wrong to have expectations in marriage. But I'm saying, the goal of Bible love is to give. The kind of love that will last is a love by two givers. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the Bible says, if you love those who love you, you are not different from the heathen. This means... There is a clear biblical differentiation between the love of a heathen and the love of a Christian. So you saw someone fine and you fell in love. That's not special. You don't need to be born again to have that type of love. Come on, are you with me? So now, imagine... You finally embrace God's template for love as a man. I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, it's a tall order. I mean, each time I think about it it, it, it defeats me. But it's God's standard. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, Meaning when you observe my effort in marriage and in love, it must show that I am willing to die for this person. 
can't claim to be willing to die for someone you won't even call on the phone. Are you listening to me? <laughs> you can't claim to be willing to die for someone you won't be emotionally present with. So now, you, you begin to renew your mind. So uh, this, is, this is the biblical couple goals. It's something even your pastor can reach for and say, Lord, this is who I want to be. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? I, I want to love life like Christ loved the church. And then he says, like Christ washed the church with the water of his word, I must cherish and nourish my wife like that. Ah, meaning, oh my God, we've moved past, you must marry a Christian. There is a deeper standard, a higher standard for the Christian man. You must be able to lead the home spiritually. Are you listening? Because I know the church likes BRS minimum. He is a Christian. You ask someone, is he born again? You say he's a Christian. When you hear a reply like that, just know. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't just say that he should be Christian. He says he must have the capacity to cherish and nourish his wife by the washing of water, by the word. Meaning by my spiritual example, she must become a better person. A better version of herself. So when I see frailties, that's an opportunity for me to fulfill my ministry as a biblical husband. I don't run away from the challenges because it's in the world where you marry perfect people or people you think will complete you. Marriage is an expression in some shape or form of ministry. I have a ministry in that marriage because my marriage is supposed to illustrate the union between Christ and his church. So I want to be an example in this way to say, you know what? Aha, I will love her out of this. I know she's doing this, she's doing that. I will love her out of it. Imagine you didn't whine about it and you just saw it as ministry. I will prayerfully, objectively walk through this. Because love is not self-seeking. And now to the women. You have to understand who is talking to you when he tells you your role, your role in marriage. Are you aware that sometimes instructions depend on who is talking? There are some people, if they say some things, you know they have an ulterior motive. But when someone, someone else with a proven track record of care, affection, says something, he can be trusted, he at least deserves to be. And so, a God who did not consider deity something to be held on to, he experienced what theologians call kinosis. He stepped aside of his glory. 
took on the form of a servant. I have said it time and again that if the only requirement for salvation was to be in the incarnation for 33 years, it is difficult enough. It is enough humiliation, not even going to the cross, but to come to your own and your own does not recognize you and they don't worship you. Don't you understand? And every time he walked on the dusty roads of Jerusalem and people didn't bow, the stones are crying for an opportunity. Are you listening to me? The stones are, uh, my Lord, may I? Uh, No, no. The stones are crying for an opportunity. The trees are crying for an opportunity. Everything in creation is saying, behold your maker. And they don't. And they beat him. And they spit on him. And they drive nails through his wrists. Now, he did all of that to serve you. Are you getting what I'm saying? He Listen, he humbled himself. The Bible says it was humility. He was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. So now, the Bible then tells you in 1 Corinthians 7, biblical order, that God is the head of Christ. We know theologically that the Trinity are all one, right? But now he says, the Father is the head of Christ, meaning it's order, not value. They are equal in importance, but different in roles. Are are you getting this? And so he says the same way the father is the head of Christ, that the man is the head of the woman. It's not about value. It doesn't mean you're more intelligent. It's for order, and that's God's system. And so... In the army, someone younger than you can be higher positionally. And if he says, do this for the sake of order, come on, for common goal. If the army is going to achieve anything worthwhile, that structure must be protected at all costs. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is God's method. This is God's method. I want to say something you probably have never heard before. When you break that order as a spiritual law, there will be a lot that can happen. Let me say this. Everything Christ had to correct in creation came by the breaking of this order. Because God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And then mankind is above animals. We are giving dominion. But the Bible opens up to a conversation between a serpent and a woman. And the woman takes the the, the, the instruction of the serpent. Are you getting what I'm saying? Order number one, broken. And then the woman takes the fruit, gives to the man. Order number two, broken. Everything that we are facing today (laughs) came by the disobedience of God's order. 
So now the Bible says, by one man, not woman, by one man, sin entered into the world because he was responsible. He was responsible. Now, I didn't plan to say this, but I, I, I want you to put on your thinking caps because time is fast spent and I want to go theological on you. Are you ready? Let's quickly see if we can open it. Open Genesis 3 and then open Genesis 4. So when you look at the theological structure, you will discover that there is something that God said in Genesis 3 that he said in Genesis 4. Look at Genesis 4 first and foremost. Oh my God. Genesis 3. Verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In fact, I think it's important I read this because some people think that based on this, at least as face value, value, that the man being the head of the home was a result of the fall. It was part of the curse of the law. I mean, like, because you have sinned, your desire shall be to the hus- your husband and he shall rule over you. But look at Genesis 4. Background of the story. God has respect to Abel's sacrifice, does not have respect to Cain's sacrifice, and Cain is angry and jealous. And in verse 6 of Genesis 4, the Bible says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Is that similar to what he told the woman? Your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you, right? He says, and his desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Same expression. So what does this mean? I will tell you and never forget this. God was saying, Cain, you might not have killed yet, but sin is already at the door. You may not have killed yet, but sin is already at the door. And it's trying to get you. His desire is for you. It's trying to control you. But take your position of authority. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when you bring that to the Eve scenario, what was God saying? He's saying as a result of the fall, what she has done in usurping authority, she is going to have the proclivity to keep doing. Her desire will be to take the position of her husband in the home He says, but he has to consciously, by the leading of the Spirit, and by the leading of the Spirit in your own life too, take his position. I am telling you, there's a reason why the world is trying to feminize the men and to make the women masculine. It is that same order from the beginning. Please, are you listening to me? 
and we try to explain it away, explain it away. Some people even try to <laughs> prove biblically that submission is not, you know, we use a lot of excuses. Mutual submission. Please. Let's go there. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. I'll wrap this up fast. Am I boring you? All right. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. This is the text that many people misunderstand. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so they say, you see, submission is mutual. Bad exegesis. When it says to one another, there is a context, a biblical context. By one another, he meant from verse 22 to 33. Wives and husbands. And then in chapter 6, from 1 to 4, children and parents. And from verse 5 to 9, servants and masters. That's what he meant by one another. He began to give examples of authority. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's what it meant. The Greek word for submission makes it impossible and counterproductive for it to be mutual. And another thing is, when you hear submission, define it in Bible terms, not in African terms. That's another problem. Because our definition of submission is subjugation. Many African men are unreasonable. I'm not saying every. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if you are loving like Christ, there are some things that are just common sense. You want to make sure you don't kill this woman to prove that she's your wife. You just come back. You have a day job. She has a day job. Both of you come back. You just say, like, huh, I want pounded yam. Are you not wicked? You should pound it. Are you getting what I'm saying? So there is a difference between submission and subjugation. But this is it. When it comes to leadership in the home, I have the privilege to lead this home in terms of direction in such a way that when I make a mistake, you don't rub it in and make me miserable and feel like, you know, oh my God. Like, I'm not deserving of this leadership. I have the privilege to determine the direction of the home. It's my privilege. Are you getting what I'm saying? If my wife is doing better financially, <laughs> I can support her. Depending on how much better she's doing career-wise, I can readjust the roles because it's going to be better for the whole family. Submission does not mean I must end the most. It's just common sense. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so if your wife is the vice president of the United States of America, you, you must become a proud house husband. Yeah, me. Because someone must look after the children. But in that high position, she still sees me as the leader of the home. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now that's Bible order. She's high in society, but I have the privilege to lead this home and I am demonstrating my love for her by making 
her work easier. And should the direction of the family change, I have the privilege to choose. Do you understand what I'm saying? She doesn't just say, I got a job in China, so I'm moving. Mm -mm. That's not leadership. We have to talk it through. Are you ready for that? And men, the Bible, the Bible instruction of submission is to women. It is not for you to execute. He told women to submit. He didn't tell you to make them. The instruction of submission is to the women. If it is not voluntarily, it is not the Bible way. You don't make her submit. The instruction to you is to love. And so, see, I think we will need another service sometime later. Because I think these two things, love and submission, we, we don't get it. I think we need another service to break all these things down one after the other. We need to know what love is. We need to know what submission is. Because in this generation, it's even dangerous. You say, husbands, yes, the Bible says your wife should submit. Some men don't love. And then some of us, we just look at, why would God say men should love? That one is easy. You don't know. Because when you hear love your wives, you think of Disney. As Christ loved the church. That's harder. Just in case you don't understand. God did not wait for us to discover his love before he loved us. By the time we, we realized his love, he had already paid the ultimate price. That's your standard as a man. So imagine having the tenacity to love her even when she doesn't realize that she's doing wrong. And you can stay there. We're not ready for that conversation. Some of these things, even me, I did learn. Hallelujah. But I just said all of that to say this. If one thing, two things you must have learned from this. Number one, God's word above culture. Amen, somebody? Amen. And number two, it must dawn on you the level of intentionality that it will take. It's going to take commitment. There's no easy way out of this. You cannot just feel your way through marriage. Ha! Huh? Because love, the Bible way, is an act of the will. Accompanied by emotions. Not led by emotions, but accompanied by emotions. The emotions must be present, but should not be leading. Act of the will, accompanied by emotions, proven by actions. You know what I think? If you ever hear any teaching on love and marriage and it doesn't defeat you and you, you, don't, you don't cry to God for help, you have not got it yet. <coughs> because love, the Bible way, is a fruit of the Spirit. It must come from your spirit, not emotions. So everything you learned about love from the TV, you put it aside. The Bible love is from your spirit. It will take 
spiritual enablement. It will take a vibrant spirit to love the Bible way. To love the Bible way, your flesh must be at bay and in its place, under your feet. I want us to cry to God for help. Listen, the reason I'm saying this is this. Many of us, we don't even realize the obstacles in our way. Some of us, we've seen bad examples repeatedly. Not by your choosing. You grew up in a home where your dad didn't love his wife. Or your mommy treated daddy like trash. You have to understand, mental models are stronger than a thousand sermons. Some of you, it will take deliverance. God has to deliver you. You have to renew your mind consciously. And God can help you. Some of you, there are literal ancestral curses against your home. Negative patterns. Just see them repeating themselves and you think they are ordinary. You need help from the Lord. Some of you are dating the wrong person now, now, now as I'm talking. You need help from the Lord. And it's my prayer that in this special segment, the Lord will meet you at the point of your need. For those of us who need a life changing wisdom from heaven that there will be this insatiable desire for knowledge that will drive you to go pay the price invest in knowledge buy the truth sell it not you know read the books and build the conviction that you need to build it. listen you have to understand there is no marriage that affects only one generation are you listening to what i'm saying if your marriage doesn't work, your children will never be the same. For every failed marriage, two generations are affected. At least two. You must get it right. Did you hear what I said? You must. And then if, for, for, for people who are already married here, the wisdom of the Lord can help you. It can. It can. The wisdom of the Lord can turn things around. Come on, are you listening to me? It can turn things around. Do you know the power of the Spirit? Turning stony hearts to flesh? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, are you with me? I know you've tried, you've argued, you've fought. You know, one move of the Holy Spirit can make all the difference. I want to give you five minutes. Lord, at the point of my need, even the areas I don't know, please guide me by your wisdom. Begin to pray right now. Guide me by your wisdom. Some of you are thinking, Lord, some of the things pastor said, I don't even know how to do this. Well, good news is, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The evidence of the Spirit's influence in your heart. What He requires, He can produce. What He requires in marriage, He can produce by His Spirit. He has given us the agency in such a way that the instructions that He has given us are not unbearable. 
If we surrender to Him, He can help us. 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 Receive divine help right now. Receive divine help right now. Receive divine help right now. your life depends on it because it does. Pray aggressively right now. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Do me a favor, just squeeze the hand of the person by your side and pray for that person. In the name of Jesus, you will get it right. In the name of Jesus, you are led by the wisdom of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, your marriage will illustrate your love life will illustrate the union between Christ and his church. And in any way you might have derailed, the wisdom and the power of God is bringing you back. It's bringing you back. Negative marriage generational patterns are ending with you. They end with you. They end with you. They end with you. Sepeka pale mongras tapele mahobia hai. Pele momeni kupara tupra tapila pahai. Runde le mene kapala taya. Shata nele kapale. Rendo le mene kopila kapai. Asheton de kapila. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Lord, and the grace to be doers of your word. To walk away from things that we know are not your will. Give us that grace and that strength. Help us to raise children that will be an army in the coming generation. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Jesus, mighty name, we've prayed. Give the Lord a praise right now. All right, please be seated. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. Blessings.